Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Built Your Network podcast. Michael, thanks so much for joining me on the show. My pleasure. Yeah, it's good to connect again. I had you on my uh, podcast, Film School, recently to talk about the entertainment industry and uh, knew I need to bring you on to talk business. So let's go back a little bit just to your journey. You grew up around LA, around the entertainment industry. You were rubbing shoulders with some pretty cool people. Tell me about those early days in your life. I was born and raised in the Jewish homeland in Sino. Basically, I grew up around a lot of, you know, all people of all kinds. My dad was uh, an entrepreneur. As far as his business background, he was in the tool business in the 60s. He decided to leave his partner because the business wasn't doing that well. And then he sold a mail order campaign, calculators in the early 70s. And he sold so many of these calculators up in Canada and a mail order campaign. I started calling him the calculator kid, you know, but then he was like disco and drugs and orgies. And then he just blew all his money within like three or four years. And he went back to the tool business and that guy that he left, you know, started another tool business in 1975 and that turned out to be Harbor Freight. Hmm. So I grew up around a lot of business people, a lot of warehouses, you know, and a lot of, you know, 
film industry people being in LA, you grew up, I mean, I used to play handball with Janet Jackson and when I rode school, she was a year ahead of me, you know, and we'd talk about her being on good times and stuff like that. And I'd see Jermaine playing basketball down in Sino Park and all that. Never saw Michael, although my friends like, I just saw Michael drinking a strawberry shake at Haagen-Dazs ice cream store. So, you know, you're always here though. You're around that atmosphere, you know? And so you, you, uh, yeah, everybody stars are star fuckers, you know. So, like, you know, you still get excited about, uh, you know, uh, those yeah. people, but uh, you get, you know, used to it. And yeah. uh, so, I was around a lot of business and a lot of film uh, stuff. And uh, my entrepreneurial journey was wanting to be the calculator kid. Although, you know, the only thing I had going for me was because I was a, I was, I had ADHD, dyslexia. I was born premature. I had health issues. And like I told you before, when I the big change for me is I. I all I hit, my success was making people laugh at me or just make them laugh in general. And then right. I saw the movie Rocky when I was like 11 years old. And then I became super uber in physical fitness and became a fitness trainer. I was 16, but I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And the only advantage I had was my dad barely finished the eighth grade. And I said, well, I'm going to at least graduate high school. So I have a cheaper. Shot. Yeah. Right. Right. I got a shot. If he, if he made millions, I just won't lose it like he did. So I told my high school tutor, I said, I want to become an entrepreneur, a stand-up comedian, and an actor. And she said, why don't you work with your hands? Because not everybody's meant to do what they want to do. I said, screw you. And I decided <laughs> to do my own business a day after high school. I got a DBA. It was called All-American Industrial Freight because I was very patriotic. Everything for the country. And, and within, I made two sales within like an hour. And then afterwards, I'm sitting there at summertime. I'm 18 years old in my parents' house, in my bedroom. And I'm not making any more money. And I'm just ADHD is like conking me in the head. And I was like, screw it. You know, and I, I couldn't, I just, it just failed. Yeah. So I waited six months and I took some classes at Pierce college, it's city college. I took drama, psychology, and business. And within six months I did stand up comedy. I brought so many people there and I said, you know, I'm not going to make any money doing stand up because you just don't, you make five, you're making $5 a set, you know? So I said, but I brought a lot of people here and some of my friends are doing nightclubs in the late eighties. So I decided I'm going to do an, a, a nightclub promoter. Within six months, I became the number one nightclub promoter in my age bracket. And that's what took me off to like playing my first acting role in the Dirt Diggler story, which eventually became Boogie Nights, which I appear in as well. You know, we talked about that. I got to play Dirt Diggler and, you know, watching that whole thing, you know, form was amazing. But then I, I got to work with Peter Goober and, and did promotional movies for, you know, Warner Brothers and, and got to see all kinds of industries once I put myself out there, you know, with the nightclub business. That was my first real, really just putting yourself out there so much, meeting, you know, seven nights a week, seven days a week, meeting as much people as I can, you know, and that really blew things open for me to start my film career and, you know, leave my nightclub business after doing it for, you know, five years, seven nights a week, you know, but I did that and I was broke again, you know, and yeah. it was many success in films, you know, and I got close to getting a big success because I did short films, won awards, second pass live action Academy award uh, for short film, got bought by HBO, wrote several screenplays at the time. And they, I got close to a movie deal on one of them about underground gambling casinos. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't turn over into a deal. The, the head of Trimark pictures switched studios, deal fell through. And I said, and the red, so much red tape in Hollywood, unlike like a conventional business, like my dad's businesses, you know, yeah. entrepreneurship is like, you control that yeah. with the film business. You're not an entrepreneur, really. You're at the mercy of, of all these other people. And I said, screw you guys. I said, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to make my own movie. I'm not going to make the one that you want me to make. I'm going to make one that nobody would let me make because if I'm going to pay for it, yeah. only problem is I was broken. I was in debt. So then I decided I'm going to be an, I'm an entrepreneur again. I chose one product because I heard if you want to do something on the internet, because the internet was in 2000, 
you're going to choose something as be successful, just choose one product and niche down. And in those catalogs, my dad's friend, Harbor Freight, he's like, you know, this is where our same suppliers, you know, I get stuff from China and all this. And I'm saying, I'm going to pick something out. My dad was like a, a jobber at this point. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, working out of his apartment. And I said, I'm going to choose tarps because I could donate them to the homeless because I used to do that for nightclubs with canned food. I, they could be used for camping. They could be used for all these different things. And I could, there's always these hurricanes. I, people use them for that. Yeah. I feel like I could have like some, at least some adventure, you know, instead of selling drill bits, which he wanted me to do. (laughs) So I sold that. And then within six months again, you know, it took like a year to make a half a million. So within a year, I made half a million dollars. And then I was able to make my own movie, write, directed, produced, and acted in a movie called Love Hollywood Style with Jane Dettaway and Eddie Dick and Coolio and Crazy Cast and other names that you've seen. And after that, you know, I almost bottomed out my business. And I just told myself, I said, you know what, I'm going to stay, this is my bread and butter because I can do stand up whenever I want now. I could you know, make a, an independent film, you know, although I hated putting my own money into that movie, but I yeah. did. And then I'm just going to be an entrepreneur. And since then the company has made over a hundred million dollars. It's done quite well. And that's why I do a podcast now called long shot leaders, because if I was going to do a podcast, it would show people that have gone the hills and valleys of success and failure. Yeah. And, um, and I also got heavily involved in personal development along the way. When I, when I turned uh, 20, I started yeah. promoting nightclubs. I got involved in that. So that's why I do a podcast. And that's kind of like my Reader's Digest version of my Hollywood entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things that's wild to me about your story is that it's not one, you know, A to B story, you know, it's like A to B to C down to Z back up to B, you know, trying to connect all these dots to, to where you want to go. And, you know, obviously you've gotten really ferociously into personal development. Do you feel like your focus has narrowed as you've developed, or do you think there is something to be said for trying out a lot of different things and seeing, seeing what works? As far as personal development is concerned, I got heavily involved with Tony Robbins. Hmm. I've like done everything that he's ever done. I went to Namali and Fiji and his resort and I've done like every seminar he's ever done twice. And you know, there's a long journey of personal development. Everybody's different. Some people might go to one seminar and you see those people doing notes, right? Yeah. Notes and all that. I'm the guy that needs to do something over and over and over and over again. Some things click fast, you know, some things take a lot more time. With personal development, I thought it would be certain things I thought would happen quicker, yeah. you know? And certain things happen. So like, what are you talking about? Certain things happen so quick for you. By the time you're 20, you're making more in your parents' right. you know, nightclubs. Yeah. But I made so many mistakes and I didn't, I don't know if ADHD is real in the sense that I don't know if it's an exact science. I know some people say it's almost like a perfect art form where they can kind of, but I just found out in adulthood like six, seven years ago that I had ADHD uh, or I fit the criteria, yeah. those points. So I was like, there was a lot of impulsivity in my life. There was a lot of volatility because I came from a very crazy family, large, crazy family. I was the youngest. And so I made so many mistakes and, you know, but I think that it's like a pendulum. So you make all these mistakes and you're making successes and mistakes. And it's going back and forth in this. And when you're younger, it's swinging back and forth so much. And then when you get older, maybe it meets somewhere in the middle and then you're like a, a steady guided plane. And I hope, and I think I really feel my stride in the past several years, really striding on that equilibrium of a, a pendulum that kind of, you know, nobody, everybody makes mistakes every day, but right. I make less than I used to. Right. Well, I mean, everybody is going to make mistakes. Like that's something that's going to happen in life and business and relationships. And one thing for you is there were mistakes. So there were times the money hits, you know, bank account hits zero. Let's start something else. Let's do it another path where I find a lot of people who, you know, 
usually aren't the ones sitting on podcasts being interviewed about their success. They'll have that one big mistake happen as a teenager out of college, their first business. And then they get roadblocked and say like, oh man, if I hadn't had that happen, I would be here now. But instead I'm, you know, stocking shelves somewhere and I'll be here for the rest of my life. You know, what gave you that drive to go, okay, I just hit, you know, what probably felt like rock bottom, you know, in, in some of those moments to say, okay, let's try again. Let's do this and we'll get there a little bit faster. Right. So my dad's a New York homeless street kid, you know, so I would hear that story and my, and my grandmother escaped the Russian concentration camps on our way mm-hmm. to America. So I would hear that story because I had to sleep in the same room with her until I was nine years old. And I would hear that story every night. And I would hear the story about my dad and my mom would talk about how I was an oops baby because she was trying to keep my dad. So she says, I drank, I smoked, I ran up and down the stairs, you know, but he survived. I was like, mom, can you just tell me if you want ranch or blue cheese? You know, just give him the order. Right. You have to tell everybody the story. You know, so I'd hear all these things growing up. So, you know, if you really have something, if you bought them out and I, my dad, you know, slept on the streets. So I looked at my situation like, this is nothing, yeah. you know, he did that. And then I, and then he made all those millions. And then he eventually went to jail on check kiting, which is a white collar crime. And he spent like four months in jail. And then he, I saw him living in a van outside of my parents' house in Encino, the house that he helped buy, he built, he bought. And my mom had to go, you know, make payments on it when they divorced. And he got along with my stepdad. My stepdad moved in with us. And my dad's parked out there in a van. And that's a humbling situation. But he bounced back, you know, somewhat. So if yeah. he could do that, I'd never had to live in a van outside of, you know, someone's home. Yeah. I got close to, I, I was broken in debt, you know. And if I didn't have the help of a family to sleep back at the home and stuff like that, right. I'd be screwed. Right. But, you know, I, everything was cake, you know, if you, if you, if you gauge yourself on that, and then also you tell yourself stories, this is the low point. I'm going to come back like Rocky, you know, and you say right. Rocky's my hero. Right. So like you see him living in the shittiest apartment, you right. know, and like he did. Okay. So, so he gets a freaking robot, you know, he ends up with a robot four right. movies later, you know, so it all works out. Detailing his Ferrari and Lamborghini. <laughs> He's got a robot out there. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you were an early adopter, you know, selling online, uh, took advantage of, of a niche, which obviously we talk all the time about the importance of niching down, whether it's with content you're doing, with with work you're doing, you know, how has that landscape changed? Because obviously now there's a million companies that are that are crowding every industry, it feels like. You know, for you, how have things changed when it comes to marketing, when it comes to business, as you know, you're not in this small world anymore. You're not an early adopter, you know, in the sense of, you know, there's nobody else on this wild frontier. Um, how has business kind of shifted for you and how have you maintained that momentum over the years? Okay. This is going to sound, this is going to be, I, I got an answer for people that are like, oh shit, that doesn't sound very good for me because I want to start something. So because I was an early adopter, there are advantages, yeah. you know, my domain name is in 2000. I have inertia built up all those years of link popularity and all that work and all the, cause we're number one for our terms, you know, in our niche. So, and I, and I have that skill set, you know, and I, I have all this pre-built, you know, clientele. So I'm number one in that online for my, my product, yeah. carbs, you know? So, but that said, if you want to start something, then you say, well, the internet is not new, but branding something can, you can be in your own lane. You can think of, you know, um, the next thing out there, like right now, like Amazon's taking a big part of the market share, Mm -hmm. you know, has that product been saturated yet on Amazon? Keep yourself, you know, taking all these channels and be for the next channel because there'll be formations of different things that come along. 
my dad, you know, I'll take you through the history of how this works. Every, you know, we're talking about the internet and how this works. So my dad was the first guy in the tool business and, you know, Alan Smith, who started Harbor Freight, they all say, your dad was the first guy to pick up the phone, sell the product and pretend that he was in a warehouse that they had, you know, and it was in a, in a, in a that sounds crazy now. It sounds yeah. like, what's the big deal? But he'd be like, yeah, John, I got this, I got 5,000 cases of this and da, 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 da. And he's sitting in his house and he made the, made the sale. Then he picked up the merchandise and then shipped it out. That was amazing. That was on the phone. That was yeah. crazy. You know, you don't have to have a store or anything. So he was one of the first guys to do that. Then came along mail order and he did the mail order campaign for calculators, calculator kid. And then after that, fax broadcasting was a big thing, you know? And then after fax broadcasting came the internet. Mm. And then after the internet, there's bifurcation of, you know, web 2.0, you know, with social, right? Yeah. And there's Amazon. And now there's going to be something else, you know, whether it's um, AI voice or, you know, however it's going to be. Yeah. It's, there's always going to be, you have to, you know, be present and, and think of something as soon as something comes along, how can I get into the game with a, a pain solver? Sure. Sure. So if, if everything was stripped away now, if you were in a position where you had to start your, your business anew and you had to pick a lane to be in, you know, what would be some of the steps you'd take right now? I mean, obviously you mentioned, you know, determining a niche that hasn't been touched or Russell Brunson calls it the blue ocean, you know, where not everyone's taking a bite out of it just yet. Um, but for you, you know, what would be some of the steps you take to determine if it's a good direction to get started? Right. So I like a branded product and I don't sell a branded product. I'm launching a branded product November 1st, 2022. Okay. And it, I'm planning a big launch for it. And I've been a Me Too product for 21 years. So this is like a 21 year startup for me. Right. Yeah. But you know, what I would do if I had to enter the game now and I had zero money and I was in debt again, I would start to find products that I can build, do what I back then, I would build a website, I would build or go, you know, do a channel on Amazon, try to, you know, try to maybe borrow some, a little bit of money, you know, like to just get like, you know, the couple hundred dollars here just to get the product on there, make one sale, then two sales, then three sales. I only, I don't know, I don't borrow I never borrowed money for a business. I borrowed money for a film, <laughs> but I've never borrowed money for a business. Yeah. And, and then I would build your way up to where then you have enough money to where, okay, this is the niche I've kind of been in. Yeah. Do I want to get into other niche and brand something? I like brand. I like to like create something to where you don't have a lot of competition. That's sure. what I would do. But that you don't, there's so many ways to make money now. Yeah. You know, there's so many different lanes. But me personally, I like um, coming up with a branded product and I like selling a widget. That's kind of like, I don't like more services. I like selling widgets of some sort. And I like to sell uh, an original widget and I like to put a lifestyle behind it. And sure. right now I, I've done a me too business, kind of tickled with a, a lifestyle behind it. But it really doesn't have the tools really like a branded product does. Right, right. This show's built your network. So one of the things we love talking about is is networking. And you said something the last time I interviewed you that I thought was really interesting is you were brushing shoulders with some of the biggest names in Hollywood. I mean, people that were working on movies like Batman Returns or uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson in in the early days. And you know, you mentioned that you were always scared to ask for things. You know, you never wanted to overstep that bound of, you know, hurting a relationship or, you know, asking for that favor. Maybe it was the fear of rejection. You know, now looking back in retrospect, you know, do you wish, number one, that you'd asked for more, uh, that you'd asked for more possibilities, more opportunities? Uh, and then also, like, 
how have you changed how you've leveraged relationships now? Because now, obviously, I, I think some of that fear subsided. You're willing to make those connections and, and think about it that way. How has that kind of transitioned? Okay. So because I was this kid that had like all the, you know, this insecurity, I was a basket case really. And I had a lot of learning to do because I, a uh, lot of, a lot of emotional this situations going on. And basically by the time, when I first started to really meet some heavyweights in Hollywood, <laughs> I used to, I went, I remember it was 1986, my friend, Brad Fleischman and Bradley Craig, he's in the movie Stand By Me. And he was one of the bad guys that was friends with uh, Keith Sutherland. And I saw him and I was like, kind of jealous. I was like, God, man, I guess Brad's only in that film because his mom's a casting director, you know? And I'm looking at the credits at the end of the film, you know, Rob Reiner and, you know, and you know, all these people. And I was like, you know, if I just knew one of those names, hmm. if I just knew one of those names, that would give me a shot, right? I could, you know, so then next year I start promoting nightclubs, right? I, and then just before I, my night, my first nightclub, a week before it, I'm promoting on the set of this movie called Lesson Zero. And I'm hanging out with this blonde guy for like three days. And he's the nicest guy. And we were like best friends on this shoot, you know? And, and I remember him telling me so many things. He showed me his portfolio pictures. And I was like, God, I was telling my other friends, because it was a big party scene up in the Beverly Hills. And I said, these poor guys come out from the Midwest and they never make it. And then I had my club and then it took me like several of his movies. And I was like, holy shit, that was Brad Pitt, you know? And we were like, you know, and I was like, well, I don't have friends with that guy. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That's just happenstance. I can control that. But then I realized after a year after that, 1988, I went out with Elizabeth Goober and then Peter Goober was voted the most powerful man in Hollywood. He won the Academy Award for Rain Man in 1988 when I started dating his daughter. And then I do the Batman party, which I felt great about that because I was giving something. Yeah. You know? And after the Batman party, Peter Goober and his wife, they all sat me down because I guess Elizabeth said, oh, Mike was depressed one night. He wanted to do something a little more, you know? And I said, Mike, we want to help you out. And I was afraid to take something because I didn't want to sure. take anything back then. Really felt like, you know, that insecure kid. So your self-worth is really important. And I didn't. And then I said, I want to be a stand-up comedian. You really can't. They're like, well, we know Bud Friedman. Why don't you, you know? And I'm like, eh, you know, like, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready, you know, to, to, to perform for Bud Friedman sure. at, the, at the improv. So, you know, you just really, you know, I really, really, if I had the self-worth, the head of advertisement, Rob Friedman, copied my work when I did the Batman party, you know, for the premiere. I mean, I really should have leveraged and said, look, you guys are promoting your movies all wrong. You should yeah. have me do a lot of these 4,000 people events for some of these big premiere movies, mm -hmm. you know, and I'll, I'll do it around the country. You know, I could devise all kinds of plans, but you don't have that kind of it's insecurity. Yeah. Then later on, you know, some of your friends, you know, start, you know, like with Paul or whatever, when that happened, when you do ask for things, you know, then you get kind of upset because like, well, I promoted nightclubs for, you know, seven years and everybody, you know, I'm the life partner. Everybody, you're doing everybody favors. And after you give, 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 and then you say, wait, what about me now? And then you, you know, yeah. so you got to find that equilibrium, I think. And I had to learn that people don't owe you anything. You can't hold grudges. And really it pays to really know your self-worth and have like a, that pendulum, have a nice medium of self-worth and humbleness, mm -hmm. right? And that's yeah. all, what I could say about that, you know, because I've had opportunities of the yin-yang. And I've really taken advantage of a lot of them still. And people, you know, and, and I network from a healthy, you know, way now. You know, the most important thing I say is, you know, is good quality friendship is treating somebody the way they want to be treated, not the way you want to be treated. Because, well, I treat people the way I want to be treated. It's like, that's stupid. Yeah, I mean, if you right. really want to be, treat people the way they want to be treated as long as it doesn't, you know, really inflict with, you know, you know, your moral beliefs. Right, right. Well, I mean, 
on that token, I mean, obviously so much of what you've done, it's been the self-made path. It's been putting your own money, putting your own time, putting your own knowledge and learning into it. Now with all of this retrospect, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Well, I think it's what you know, really, because it's what you know that gets you into the game. It's what you know that gets you started to give you a chance to meet more people and then that becoming a factor for who you know. Yeah, yeah. Can can you think of a relationship that's really opened a door for you? I mean, now, I mean, even within your business or maybe a a partnership that really benefited you or, or set you forward, you know, where if you had gone the route by yourself, it would have been, it would have been impossible or, or painstakingly long. I I could definitely say the biggest change for me was even though I grew up in Encino and I grew up around, like I said, Jackson's and all that, (laughs) when I met Peter Goober and I stepped into that, you know, going from, it was like, you know, like you see the karate kid where he's from Reseda and he meets the girl from Encino. I was the kid from Encino meeting the girl from Bel Air and I was meeting the most powerful man in Hollywood. I didn't even know who he was because, you know, I just, I mean, who the hell knows who the producers are when you're like, you know, 20 year old kid, you know? And some do, but I didn't. And, and I stepped into that whole world, but then they got me, she's the one that got me into personal development Hmm. because Peter Goober's best friends with um, Tony Robbins. They they got me into so many things. I was flying Learjet, Learjets from like Santa Monica or Van Nuys airport sometimes to to Aspen and see, and playing pool with Vanna White and taught, you know, having Barry Levinson, you know, who's nominated that year to like, to see these people that have done achievements like that and, and been around that. To see that affluency, you know, that changed me forever to realize everybody has a chance for this shit, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just time plus effort plus choices and consistency showing up. Probability will show itself, you know, and then there's just choices you have to make. Anybody can, you know, we just, I just interviewed somebody on my podcast that talked about James Lawrence, the iron cowboy who's yeah. done like 50 triathlons in 50 days, like, like things that nobody on all planet earth have ever done. And you don't realize it, you know, these things are possible. So that's what changed for me meeting the Goober family. And it sounds funny, Goober, but, uh, but that's the name. Yeah. And the Goober family. And then from there that helped me to believe in myself even more, you know, as far as business, just meeting people like Alan Smith, who owns Harbor Freight and my, and my dad and, building a story for myself. Cause we all build stories for yourself, like a movie. Mm-hmm. So I build a story for myself, you know, to say, look, you know, what's the movie look like, you know? And so those people, you know, are influential as far as entrepreneurship, which is the rich dad, poor dad scenario between my dad and Alan Smith, I think were very influential for me. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. 
You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. My co-host, uh, Travis always talks about the engineered serendipity, you know, like putting in the work that allows these opportunities to arise. Like, so you have those, that little bit of luck that kicks in, but you've done all the work to, to make that happen, or you built the relationships where you're more likely to have those things happen. And, um, and consistency is huge. Like that's, that's the biggest thing, you know, we see, I mean, talking with people starting podcasts or YouTube channels or starting a business, you know, they'll put out one episode and go, nobody listened. And I guess I'll just stop doing that now. And it's, it's, you have to put in that, that work, James Lawrence, you mentioned, you know, I mean, I, I look at his posts. I don't even understand how a human being does that uh, to their body, but it's, it's that consistent work to keep going and and doing it real quick. You know, it's like that, that pump, that uh, Zig Ziglar talks about the, there's a pump and, and you have to prime the pump. You're pumping this pump. The water's going up this pipe and it's going, 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 and you're pumping and pumping. You don't know where the water is and you're putting your hand out to where, you, you know, where the water's going to come out. Some people are pumping so much and just before the water starts to go, they stop pumping because they're tired. They don't know where it is. They don't think yeah. it's going to happen, but right. the water's right there. You just need to pump a little bit more and all the work that you've done has led up to that point. It's going to like bear fruit. It's going to bear water. That's yeah. a great analogy for like just plugging away and keeping well, at it. Before we transition to the random run, I want to ask a follow-up on that because, you know, there is that, there is that, you know, we see the illustration of the guy with the pickaxe and he's right next to this diamonds right there and he stops, or you see the person pumping water, the water's just about to come out on the flip side of that. Some people don't know when to stop and you're pursuing something that doesn't work. You know, you talk about the sunk cost fallacy, you know, you, you're pouring into it. I find, oh, I've already spent this much money. I got to keep doing this, even though they're driving themselves down. When do you decide to keep going? I feel like I'm right on the cusp of something or I've poured in a ton, but it's clearly showing that this is not the right path. How do you delineate between those two things? Uh, There's risk and reward, you know, parameters that you set for yourself, right? So I'll say like right now, okay, I'm going to put a $400,000 in this. This is the max. I'm not going to go over that. You go to Vegas. It's like, I'm just going to like play craps for 50 bucks. I don't want to spend more than 50 bucks. And that's it. Or I say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to, do, I'm going to go full-blown for stand-up. And if I don't get an HBO special by the time I'm 29 or 30, I'm going to still do it. But I, you know, if, if the right woman comes along, and one of my priorities is having a family and not going on the road and raising children, yeah. well, that's cognitive dissonance. That's not realistic. I'm not going to go on the road and leave a family because one of my higher priorities would be, at, which was, you know, that's why I say that because to get married and have kids, you know, 
because that to me is something I never, I had a dysfunctional family and I really wanted that. So I gave myself a certain amount of time and even then I still did it. But once my kids came along and I, and I got, I stopped because I got really good. Mm. I, I was like, you hit that point where like, when you do stand up, all the pitches slow down. I'm like, somebody drops class. I got five punchlines for that. And I did this. Yeah. Everything slows down. The, everything's just great that way. You know, it's too, you're in the zone, you know, you might have a bad night, but you're feeling, you know, the timing's there. And the only thing to do to get better is go up seven nights a week, seven days, right? Seven days a week, go to different clubs, get out of town, do different venues, start to build a name. Can't have a family. I don't want to have that kind of a family. So yeah. I decided not to do that. And yeah. just invest in my business and invest in my family because that was conducive. Now, everybody's, everybody's journey is different. You have to weigh out the pros and cons like an imaginary spreadsheet in your head with the pros and the cons and then what's valuable to you and then do some type of algorithmic kind of like decision-making. Yeah, yeah, that's super helpful. I was curious on that. Well, look, I know we're right here at the end of our time. I want to move us here into our random round and ask a couple, couple quick questions. First, what profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? Oh, man. Well, you must have stayed up late at night. Like, that's a fucking question. <laughs> ask that one. Man, I, I don't know. I'd love to, like, uh, raise gorillas. I love gorillas. I would love to be, like, a gorilla-like wrangler and just, like, you know, live with the gorillas or, like, you know, work at, like, the L.A. Zoo or something. You know, I live in Texas now. But that, <laughs> they don't have – they have good gorillas at L.A. or San Diego Zoo. I like to work with gorillas. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, if you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? I guess it would have to be Jane Goodall if you're going to be going that path, but uh, if you had to pick somebody know. else. <laughs> Gandhi would be a barrel of laughs. I'd like to really you know, pick his brain. Howard Cosell would be interesting, although that would probably be like marzipan, like just a little bit. And then afterwards, you get a little nauseous. You know, <laughs> well, it's so, only an hour, so it wouldn't be oh, too bad. Yeah. Well, I would probably say probably Gandhi. Hmm. Okay. So Gandhi. Gandhi. Why not? <laughs> there you go. Albert Boom. Einstein. I, I tell you, Einstein, I'm looking at my poster right here. I like to hang out with him. He'd have probably know a thing or two about a thing or two. Okay. So how do you like to learn best? Is it, uh, I know you said you're heavy in personal development. Is it books, blogs, podcasts, videos? What's your, what's your favorite way? Well, now I like net time. So if I can, you know, cram, like if you're doing an activity, let's say you're working out and you can listen to a podcast or listen to some uh, book on tape you want. That's great. If you're, you know, got a, your daughter wants to work out with you and then you can, you know, work out with her and listen to it. That's triple time, right? You know, cause now you're spending time with your daughter and now you're working out and you're So I try to like really listen to audio because I can do more at one time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, give me a glimpse of your morning routine. What does that look like for you? Wake up at 6.20. Like I'm so transparent. Like I have no mystery. I would like <laughs> to be mysterious. Wake up at 6.20. I do a mini workout. And then I uh, go straight to work. And uh, I was sad to say, I, I, I'm a work, I'm not a workaholic. I just don't even go to lunch. I just eat lunch at my desk and I just compete. I just like to just, that's just, you know, not that I don't have fun, you know, but that, that's yeah. like my work day, you know? Sure. Now the weekends are totally different. Now on, on Fridays, I batch my podcast episodes and I'm working in between the episodes, maybe on my business, you know, and it's just constantly go, 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 go. And I like them happy as a clam, just like constantly, you know, and then, and then, you know, in between dinner or something, I'll go on and the entrepreneur's life never ends. I'll tack on and I'll, I'll be doing something for business. I love social networking when I can slip it in, you know, you know, that's what yeah. bathroom time, bathroom time is for. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Right. So we know Everybody if we get a message a from you, if we get a message from you, you're on the toilet. That's, that's uh, right. 
You know, so, you know, every, every, you get a happy birthday for me, it's usually I'm doing net time, guys. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. But the weekends are when I do you know, different things, you know, and uh, a little bit more creative on the weekends, you know, I'll just, you know, write some more. Sometimes I'll do like stand up, or, you know, do more creative things on there. But lately it's been a lot of work. You know, when you do, I'm starting the startup and it's been a lot of work lately. But I really try to have a balance of, of course, family time. Like after this, I'm gonna go, gotta go talk to my daughter about some sure. school stuff, you know. And you know, that's just yeah. the way it is. So it's just, it's just nonstop. I'm at that point, you know, my life still where it's, it's like, just go, 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 go. Yeah, I feel that with our startup right now, it's the same. You know, it's just grind and figure it out. And and you're, someone asked me like, what's your friend circle? I was like, the other people working on the startup and my wife. That's pretty much it. I don't have a lot of time outside of that. That's that's the that's the situation right now. Yeah, but you're probably happy doing that too. Yeah. Well, it's friendships, you know what I mean? It's it's you're working with people you like on something you're excited about, you know, it's other conversations just feel like, okay, let's go and then let's jump right back into it and, and make it move. Thinking about making it move, getting getting going, what's your go-to pump-up song? Oh man, every morning I wake up to I forgot the name of the composer. I think it's Alan Silvestri, I think. It has been like this for several years and I switched songs, but for the past seven years now, I just don't want to change it. There's a movie called Warrior with Tom Hardy mm-hmm. and the soundtrack at the end where Tom Hardy has to fight his brother. I listen to that. There's a particular bell chiming type song and it's the song before the fight. And I wake up every morning to that and I just hear that chime and uh, Pavlov conditioning sets in and I, it gets me going for the rest of the day to fight. Awesome. Awesome. What is something that you're not very good at? A lot. So. For example, I have the ADHD still, or sometimes, you know, so I have to really like, I had two meetings today and I hate to say this, it was just a fact and I'll make the adjustment, but it's going to take me time because I, I missed two. I had, and they were on my outlook and the meetings elapsed. And I said, I'm so sorry. I have to reschedule because I was, I, I, I was available, but I got caught up in another project. I was working on the computer. I'm sitting in front of the computer. I'm working yeah. on something else. And I missed that meeting and I was right there. Yeah. And that happened twice today. So am I, am I not good at that? I mean, I, I, I mean, meetings, I mean, it's, I don't do that with podcasts. Every single podcast interview with you, whether somebody's interviewing me or I'm interviewing somebody, I don't miss those. Not yeah. once, but I did that with, you know, with, with work, there were some things. So there's, that just came to mind today, but there's, there's a lot of things that I if I, you know, but that's just one that's current. Uh, so you know, I, 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 when I get off the phone, I get off with you. I'll be like, holy shit. There's so many other things I'm, I'm like bad <laughs> right. at, you know, that, right. that, that's one of them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, last question. What's the best place online for people to connect with you and uh, follow your journey? Just go to longshotleaders.com. You know, that's where all my socials are, my social buttons. You could go, you know, check out everything there. I have everything from like, although I need to do another TikTok video, right? It's been a while. So, um, but uh, everything from Instagram to YouTube to LinkedIn to Facebook to the whole thing. Awesome. And uh, you just go to longshotleaders.com. And if you got a long shot story, if you have a story, you know anybody that has a story that wants to be on a podcast, talk about large obstacles, overcoming large obstacles and finding success, we want to have your story on the show. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you, Michael, so much for jumping on the show, talking with me again. I really appreciate it. And I uh, always love getting to sit down and chat a little bit. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.